Well, what are we? What a week. They say that a week is a long time in politics, don't they? Now, the last few days, well, they've sort of left us in a state of suspended animation. You know, something's going to happen, but it's just not quite yet. We know that something will happen, in fact, quite a number of things will happen, including a change of prime minister, including leaving the European Union. Looks like there'll also be a change of leader of the opposition sometime. Certainly some of the shadow cabinet have gone. And of course there's some discussion going on in Scotland again. But we come together as one church. The pundits said both campaigns were of poor quality. One based around creating a fear of change. And another creating hope that couldn't be realised. The nation, the people, are split almost 50-50. And I wonder what words Paul would write to them. I think we've seen something of his response over the course of the past four weeks. As we've looked at the opening chapters of the first letter to the Corinthians, you will have heard me morning and evening since the end of May talking of a divided people. A people that should have a common purpose but are verbally ripping each other apart. They've gathered in their groups and each shouted, we're the best. They've boasted of their leadership, just like two young children challenging each other with, my daddy's bigger than your daddy. And the Apostle Paul has been saying, stop. Be together. You are one. And whatever happens in the future of this country, that's something we must think of. We are one. We are one people. And certainly, as Christians, followers of Christ, we have that commonality which must not bring division. In our passage this morning, the apostle points a mirror at the people and says, have a look at yourself. Really, have a look 
at yourself. Well, he would point a mirror. Mirrors hadn't been invented then. But he wants them to reflect. My, how great you are. You are rich, he says to them. You are kings already. Wish I was a king like you. Now, I detect a slight sarcasm in his voice. He's playing the part of the tailor in the children's story of the emperor's new clothes. You know the one? The weavers come, they make the cloth. Of course, everybody can see this cloth. Everybody can see this new suit. How charming, how wonderful, how regal you look in it. But the suit wasn't there at all. And just as the people of Corinth were saying, haven't we great? Haven't we made it? No, they hadn't. They'd not got it right just yet. The people wanted to see themselves as kings, as rich, as rulers, people with power that can make decisions. Kings declare how things will be. The people of the Corinth church are indeed royalty. By confession of faith, they have been adopted into the family of God. They are brothers and sisters with us, brothers and sisters of Christ. But like we were saying a couple of weeks ago, even our queen is a servant of the king. The day of Christ's triumphant return means a time will come when we in the church will, through mercy and grace, reign with him on the earth. We see this spoken of in passages like Revelation 5, chapter 10, uh, verse 10. But even then, even when we reign, we will still be servants of God. As Paul's saying, he wishes he was a king with them. It's because he's looking forward to that day. He's saying, I, I wish I was a king now. But that time has not actually come. In the meantime, we are called to be in the earth, but not of the earth. We are not to be seeking earthly power, but seeing that God's power is proclaimed. For there is far more to riches than money in the bank. Such rich things that the world think of are transitory. But treasure in heaven 
is eternal and is what we should be seeking. People who were able to vote on Thursday might have seen themselves in different ways. And the people in Corinth saw themselves in different ways, Jew and Gentile. But Paul tells the church there's no difference there. He's already spoken to them, saying, we are neither, but we're called to be one in unity. And now he is speaking to them all together. He's not speaking to one group and the other group. He's speaking to them together. They're called to be one in unity. And that requires listening to the needs of others rather than thinking of ourselves. We are not the one to be putting ourselves forward but are to be at the end of the procession, making ourselves the least of all the people. Paul says that this is his position, and he's inviting us to be there with him, not seeking the power for us, not seeking the glory. He's saying, walk with him. And appear to be the fool. Now we have already learned that the idea of a Messiah who dies on the cross would be viewed as foolish. But it is not only that belief in Christ's victory and death that should make us look as if we've lost our marbles. But our foolishness has to come out in our daily life. In how we actually live. In the decisions that we take. How we have faith with honesty. With integrity. How we are free from sin. And are sacrificial with what we have. I have many different crosses that I wear at times around my neck. And a dove that I occasionally put on. A recent acquisition is this one. It is a simple wooden cross on a thin leather string. It's got a Cairo motif on it, a symbol of Christ. But also in the string, there are three knots. This is a Jesuit cross. And the three knots signify the vows that they make of obedience and chastity and poverty. I don't wear this one very often. 
but I think it's got an important message for us today. An important message that stretches to all of us and it comes out here. We are called to put aside the riches of the world and to live the way that we're called to, to be God's people. It is foolishness to be sacrificial, not to grab what you easily could, to give your all in helping others, to give away your wealth, to give to charity, but also to pay your taxes. And to think about how the public purse has money for education, health, the environment, fighting crime, keeping peace, helping countries less fortunate than us, and everything else that our coins given to Caesar manages to achieve. The message, therefore, to Boris and Farage and Gove and to Cameron and Corbyn and Sturgeon. The message to all in Great Britain and Northern Ireland. To those in continental Europe too. The message to all those around the world is to look not at your power, but what your power might do for others. Paul brings this short passage to a conclusion with encouragement to the people to have a spirit of the blitz. A decision has been made as to the future. Righteousness and peace will reign across the earth. But the day is some way off. And until it comes, it's going to be a daily challenge for God's people. Because to truly live the Christian life is not easy. The Corinthians thought it could be nice and easy. That they could carry on the way that they had been. But that's not the case. Paul uses certain phrases. We go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We are cursed. We are persecuted. We are slandered. This is what happens to God's people. And the description is like that of being a refugee in a foreign land. Our response to this life is like that of many a person I have met in the past in such a situation. We are to work hard with our own hands. We are to bless And we are to endure it. Jesus spoke in a similar way to this passage. 
and we know his words well in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's, Jesus is in the Beatitudes, points to the same things about being hungry, about being sad, about mourning about being persecuted and insulted and says we are blessed. These are hard words. These are hard words to hear. And as the summer goes on, as the book, 1 Corinthians, that letter to the early church continues, some of what Paul says might be quite close to home for some of you. Paul, in his letter, will put salt on the wounds. And when salt is there, it stings. But he pours that salt not to bring pain, but to bring healing, to bring wholeness. He does it because he loves the people of Corinth. He knows their ways, their habits, and he longs for them to walk a faithful path, to know the fullness that can be in their life. The fullness of being one people together, journeying together with the hope of Christ our Lord. We are seen to be the scum of the earth. But we are also washed in the blood of the Lamb and cleansed. Forgiven of our sins, given new life, and a promise of great things. So let us together journey as the people, going along his way, rather than seeking our own separate paths. Amen.